the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. And for the newbies, this is the only podcast of its kind out there that will give you the real lowdown on all major environmental stories alongside some honest and qualified opinion. Many have tried, few have succeeded. Our man at the lectern is, of course, the entrepreneur and environmentalist Dale Vince. Dale, morning to you. Yeah, morning, Ian. How's things? All good. Uh, we're a day early on this one, of course, because it's the, uh, the the Easter weekend. Yeah, that threw me. I looked in my diary this morning and yeah. thought, shit, I got to do a Discombobulation all around on this one. <laughs> yeah. Is that because you're going to be in church tomorrow, Ian? Obviously, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every, like you could set your clock by it, Dale. There I am, <laughs> eggs in hand, uh, and away I go up the up the aisle, whatever it is. Well, there's um, an image of you with your eggs in hand walking up indeed. the aisle. I don't well, we had, a, we, we, had an inter- <laughs> we had an interesting eggy-based story at work uh, this week because somebody sent us a big box of cream eggs to the show. It was like, you know, I don't know, 50 cream eggs, your standard Cadbury's cream egg. And there we were in our control room. There's kind of six of us in the team. And not one, but two refused the cream eggs, and they refused the cream eggs on the basis they're not vegan. Well, and what I thought was interesting about this was it hadn't really occurred to me whether a cream egg was not vegan or not. I can I can see why it isn't, um, but the fact that a third of the people in the room were vegan was yeah. you know really quite something. It is on talk radio as well. On talk radio as well, yeah, where I mean, normally meat eating is something you're asked to do at an interview to get a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eat this cow. Right, you've got the job. Um, <laughs> uh, but there it is. So I guess with chocolate and stuff, I'd never really thought about that side of it, but that's all part of it, isn't it? You, it's the milk. It's the milk. Yeah, it's the milk. I mean, there's too much sugar in milk chocolate as well. I mean, there's type that's true. 2 diabetes waiting to happen there. Yeah, it's uh, all a bit shit, isn't it? Really? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of chocolate, but I like uh, 100% dark chocolate, which is incredible. If you get the chance yeah. to try it, I recommend it. I mean, the first time you try it, it'll just like desiccate your tongue, and you'll think, "Oh, I can't eat that." But you know, yeah. bear, bear with for a few weeks is what I've done. And I, I think you're right. I'm a big fan of that, but the go-to would be dark chocolate. I think that's that's kind of proper chocolate, right? Yeah, and it's you know, it's got a lot of health properties as well. Cocoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And is that without milk at all, or does it yeah. have a, a it's different? 100%. Wow. So that's all it is, is yeah. chocolate, which is, yeah. So the chocolate yeah. version of drinking something that's 100% proof on a bottle would be <laughs> that's a right. similar and that's possibly right. a similar experience if you do the whole bar on your own. And, and don't eat it before bedtime because you won't go to sleep. <laughs> not, not a chance. Um, let's start with COP26 because this, of course, happens in this country or it's meant to happen in this country later this year. Uh, this is the Climate Change Summit. Um, may have to be postponed or radically changed because of the coronavirus pandemic, according to government sources. Now, it's always hard to confirm these things, but often when good reliable news outlets have a sniff of this story they've heard it from somewhere yeah and of course also often during this pandemic the government our government of of, a habit of saying no that's fine everything's going to be fine that's still on and then closer to the event Mm. that story will change and what's happened is there's an event um in the next 
few weeks that's been cancelled that uh, the Chancellor was going to lead some kind of global meeting and that's been deemed too risky and that's made a lot of people think, well, hang on a minute, COP26 is meant to have 20,000 people at it. Yeah. How is that going to work you know, safely in the world that we'll probably be in by November? And I think it's a serious question and I wouldn't be surprised if COP26 was pushed to the spring of next year. Yeah, yeah. Would you would you think that's the best thing to because I think you kind of need, I mean, you, a lot of it will be by Zoom, but do you need bodies in the room for this one for there yeah. to be true debate? Well, I mean, you know, this this is what the big concerns are that if uh, if there's too much Zoom participation, then it will be a bad cop, and in a kind of shadow of the whole Brexit. Uh, propaganda people are saying actually no cop is better than a bad cop um yeah not, not the policeman type cop obviously, obviously. but the, but the uh, un type cop and and you know i get that they're saying this is way too important to have a crap one and at the same time it looks like our government are still underprepared well that's no big surprise because brexit took them by surprise for four years in the making didn't it in in january this year so it might even be convenient at some point for the government to say oh do you know what? This pandemic risk is still too high. Let's uh, take a six-month break and uh, we'll carry on organising. Yeah. Here's a question from Daniel. Uh, it says, hello, gents. Uh, I've not always been a Dale fan, but I Surely discovered not. this. I can't work out how prior to discovering your great work, Dale, he'd already decided he wasn't a Dale fan. I wonder what had happened get to it. Dan. Anyway, this this gets this this is good. This email, he says. But I discovered this podcast during the first lockdown. I'm impressed uh, with Dale's lobbying and business ventures beyond ecotricity, including Forest Green. Despite having no real interest in football, I'm pleased to hear about improvements to the electric highway. But would Dale please be more specific than we're installing a whole bunch of 350 kilowatt high powered chargers? Uh, will every motorway station get them, for example, and how many? It's an un not an unreasonable question. No, I think it's a fair question. Hello, Daniel. Thanks for the question. Look, I buy a whole bunch. Uh, I mean, I talk like this sometimes, and, and I, I kind of know what we're planning, and what we're planning isn't completely nailed down, but ultimately yep. it's high-powered charging at every motorway service station. The time frame for that is a little bit harder to be certain of i think probably 18 months but that's my guess at the moment and yep. we're talking 12 bays per installation so every motorway service station with 12 bays with 350 wow. kilowatt pumps uh for each of those so you know a, a really big rollout of high powered charging yeah which is pretty much the same amount of petrol pumps you'd get right yeah so yeah, when I'm when I'm rounding up in my everyday language, I would call that a whole bunch. But I understand that that doesn't look too specific. Uh, here's a here's a, but it is a, it's work in progress, right? I mean, you know, th things uh, will, will change and numbers you can arrive upon, you know, as the journey progresses. I guess. Yeah, and it's um, for us, it's really exciting. I think it's only about two weeks ago we did the deal with GridServe and Atashi, and uh, you know, we're preparing now to to pull up all of our 50 kilowatt pumps and replace those. And I mean, that's super exciting. And, and the uh, high powered program is, is rolling as well. And, you know, we, we're just really excited to be here and be able to, to transform the highway with this. Indeed. Um, here's a headline uh, that kind of took me by surprise. Climate change, net zero targets are pie in the sky. This is according to the Indian government. They've lambasted the richer world's carbon cutting plans, calling long term net zero targets pie in the sky. The energy minister said poor nations want to continue using fossil fuels and the rich countries cannot stop it. 
Yeah, very interesting. I read that quote and immediately had visions of wars being fought, not over possession of fossil fuels, but to prevent them being burned, which would flip the current kind of situation on its head. But when you look at what he actually said deeper than that, what he said made a lot of sense. He's saying that the developed world are responsible for 80% of the carbon problem today. And the developing world, where you've got millions of people that don't even have access to electricity, they have a right to development, is what he's saying. And that carbon emissions per capita in the developed world can be five, six, 12 times what they are in the developing world. And that the people in the developing world simply have a right to have a carbon footprint and to go up the development curve. That makes an awful lot of sense. And it's one of the biggest issues that needs squaring um, in the you know in the global fight against the climate crisis to get the whole world uh, on board. John Kerry jumped in uh, from the US and said, look, we're not expecting to have the same targets and the same plans for every country. And I think that's entirely appropriate. You know, that's how it has to be. Um, you know, over here in the West, we can't keep operating with these super high per capita carbon emissions. Yeah, and I guess if you're a country that literally has nothing, uh, there's, there's nothing in the bank, then to invest in multi-billion, trillion pound initiatives becomes kind of at this point impossible. Well, yeah, it does become very, very difficult and fossil fuels are going to be cheap and abundant for for those economies. And um, I mean, I, that's probably the real challenge is, is to help these countries up the development curve, but without fossil fuels. That's the real challenge. I mean, there's a parallel in this story with a with a story I was reading this week. Um, it's something we've seen before, but somebody's done a new study uh, about who's taking all of the flights in the world, basically, and found yeah. an elite minority are doing all of the harm. So, yeah, I saw this. Oh, did you? Yeah, twelve percent of people yeah. in the U.S., for example, are taking two thirds of all the flights. Two percent of people in France are taking fifty percent. Yeah. In China, it's five percent taking forty percent of flights, wow. and India, one percent of households taking forty-five percent of all flights. And it's not any different in Britain. And you know, whenever we talk about controlling flying, uh, putting a tax on fuel, which is free at the moment, ending the absurd subsidies, the defense of the growth of the uh, uh, flying industry is that it's essential to economic growth, that actually it's essential for people that are less well off to have holidays and that kind of stuff, you know, but half of Britons just never fly. You know, it's a, it's a bogus argument that we need it for economic growth or we need it for social justice for people to have holidays. That's not how it's being used at the moment. Here's a question from Richard. Uh, it says, long-time Ecotricity customer, just finished reading the manifesto. I loved it. Whatever happened to your home battery storage plans? I'm ready and waiting for you to launch it. Just put some meat on the bones of this one, if you would. Uh. Yeah, we came up with this idea 10 or 15 years ago. Um, we're looking at kind of future grids, really, and, and, and kind of the dumb way the grid is currently managed and ways to... Uh, balance supply and demand. And um, we came up with the idea, we called it the black box, but it was basically a home battery system that would take a house on and off the grid at different times of the day to basically avoid the rush hour. And by doing that, we can smooth some of the great peaks of demand in the grid, reduce carbon footprint, reduce generation fleet size, all that kind of good stuff. We did make a couple of mock-ups. We got a bit sidetracked by other things. Uh, other people are making home battery systems now. I don't think anybody's quite doing the the smart control that we that we planned. And and I wouldn't rule out getting back into that. When we began, battery technology just wasn't up to the job, uh, and that was one of our problems. But today, of course, battery technology has changed massively. 
and in particular supercapacitors are coming along which i really like the look of and so it, it might be that we're, we're hoping to use some supercapacitors soon uh, in a couple of projects and it might be that we uh, we pick that back up and uh, try to do it with supercapacitors next uh, here's an interesting one and this took me by surprise because i never thought this headline was real when i first saw it the rate at which the world's forests are being destroyed increased sharply last year uh, you've got at least 42,000 square metres of tree cover lost in key tropical regions. Now, you might think, again, I know this sounds repetitive. It's the sort of thing we talk about a lot, Dale, where you think, really, is this still a thing? Is this still happening? <laughs> Apparently so. Yeah, I think it's happening more than ever. And, um, you know, it's 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 a terrible thing that's happening. But whenever I read these stories, apart from being depressed, uh, and feeling, you know, that we're powerless to prevent this great destruction from happening. I do think that it's um, it's a little bit hypocritical of us here in the West, in developed countries, to be wringing our hands over this because we've wiped out our own rainforest. You know, Britain has virtually no wild areas left. We've le- lost 97% of our wildflower meadows in the last 50 years, for example. You know, we've we've trashed our own natural habitats you know, the R equivalent of, of the rainforest. And so we don't really have any moral authority, I don't think, to be telling these other countries not to use their natural resources. That's the trouble, isn't it? But of course, if we all stop eating meat, then actually they will stop uh, felling these forests because they're mostly doing that to grow crops, to feed animals, to feed the West with meat. So, uh, yeah. you know, there is something we can actually do, all of us. There's one from Alex on Facebook. I saw you posting about Nigel Farage's new green finance job. Is this the start of a sinister new face of capitalist greenwashing? Or it could be that Farage has taken a big U-turn and he's about to join the board of Ecotricity. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that on a poster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I read this story. Well, I saw this story at the start of the week and I was like gobsmacked. My jaw dropped a little bit. I thought, well, you know, WTF is happening here. This is Farage, the long-term climate denier. And then I thought to myself, well, look, this guy's got form. You know, he was against the EU, but spent a couple of decades working in the European Parliament and getting paid by them and now that we've left uh, the EU he's still taking a huge pension from them and he, he refuses to not take it because he says like he's due it so he's, he's kind of I don't know hypocritical I think uh, but he worked within the EU to bring the EU down in in some respects and so you know one thought was maybe he, he thinks he can work within the climate industry and uh, you know undermine it from within but it turns out that a part owner of this Dutch company is some kind of right-wing nut friend of his, a Q, a non-supporter. And it, it looks like uh, a job for his mate in a, in a dodgy carbon offsetting company, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. I think the whole thing is, is just a sham. So he, he's not the next Chris Packham. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to Chris Packham in just a second. There's a question about Chris. Um, and also this, uh, this is it. Climate change has led to the earliest cherry blossom season in Japan in 1,200 years. I mean, if you wanted an example of how things have changed, then there it is right there. I mean, no one's making this up. The blossom is out. It shouldn't be out. Mm. The earliest in 1,200 years. Yeah, I read this story. I was very interested in it. Um, there are a couple of things. One is they've been tracking cherry blossom, uh, peak cherry blossom, actually, yeah. for over 800 years. I think it's the longest historical record of an event that uh, you know can be tied in this way to changing climate. Um, but the headline said exactly that, earliest in 1,200 years. But it also said since 1,400. And, and I was thinking, is my maths bad here? But 
1200 years and 1400 years makes the year 2600 doesn't it which is not where we are are we not <laughs> i don't think we are i don't what year are we in, in? what is in it 2048 20... now is it <laughs> yeah 2021 <laughs> are there some calendars around the world that use a different like in ethiopia isn't it something like 2036 there are definitely different calendars we yeah. are we are a christian one don't we that's right. But um, it doesn't add up. It's not 1,200 years ago, the 1400s. On yeah, anybody's... 1,400. So the peak bloom arrived on the 26th of March in Kyoto. Uh, that's the earliest since the 27th of March, 1409. Which is 600 years ago. Which is 600 years ago. While yeah. in Tokyo, uh, they reached full bloom on the 22nd of March, the second earliest since 1953. So, yeah, 600 years. So it's only 600 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody got carried away there in, in writing that uh, that byline. Yeah. And it stayed there. Hasn't moved. Uh, let's go back to that Chris Packham uh, question. Karen on Twitter says, "Is Chris Packham wanting to go to the moon in 2023? Is that story for real, or is it an April Fool?" I don't actually know. But as a kid, as I wrote in Manifesto, I wanted to be an astronaut very badly, and I was like super disappointed at age 11 to realize I'd been born too soon for space travel to be common right. in my lifetime. But hey, the project itself looks real, is what I'm told. The, the thing that Chris is applying to be on is happening. Um, I think it's something like six or seven astronauts are being chosen to go to the moon. And I think if I had the chance, I might go. But of course, it is an awful lot of rocket fuel. Uh, to be burned to propel yeah. people up there, and you've got to you got to weigh that up and say, yeah, chance of a lifetime, go to the moon. Yeah, that's all well and good. I mean, there's no purpose except for the experience, as far as I can see. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's a risk. It's a risky. I mean, you could fall off the moon. <laughs> I mean, there's that. Yeah, you would get stuck there and and, and have to Clangers. eat cheese for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, there's all of that too. Um, have a cracking bank holiday weekend, Dale. You keep good hold of your eggs. Indeed, um, I will. I'm stock taking as we speak. Uh, we will We will be back next Friday. Uh, don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider. That means you get each new episode automatically. Uh, leave a review there as well. If you want to get in touch, you can email your comments, zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. And the really important bit is to follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. And we'll be back in a week. Zero carbon east off.